Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Entangled. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and today I'm honored to be joined by my lifelong friend, Jeff King. In this episode, we discuss ideas of inspiration, persistence, and habit. We then dive into the world of physics and discussions around extraterrestrial civilizations, the nature of time, and artificial intelligence. Please enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Entangled. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and tonight I've got my great friend, Jeff King, with me. Jeff, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, buddy. It's good to be here. I appreciate it. Also, I got to say, I love the name Entangled when I listened to the fir- first couple, so I don't know how you came up with that, but that was fan- that's fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, man. We get into it a bit on uh, another episode, so you'll, you'll get to okay. hear a little bit more about the genesis of that. I appreciate that. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. How are yeah. you doing? Doing great, man. Doing great. So why don't uh, we kick things off with you just telling the podcast audience a little bit about yourself? All right. Yeah, absolutely. So um, right now, you know, the biggest thing is, I guess, for me, about me, you know, I'm I'm married. The wonderful wife, Kayla, got married this past year in February. And, you know, you and I have been lifelong friends for, I mean, really as long as I can remember um, going through just so many different things and Right now, I'm an, I'm an athletic administrator, uh, athletic assistant athletic director, then also a coach on um, as well. I've been a personal trainer. I've been a sales. I've been a salesman, and you know, just just got a new dog. We were just talking about it before we started, so very excited about that. But you know, in, in a nutshell, I guess that's that's really me. And I think I identify a lot more where I mean, I I, lo- I love my job right now. I was a you know a sales rep and everything like that. But I, I've really tried to kind of continue on passions of my own. And something that defines who I am a lot would be that mm-hmm. coaching, that training aspect, and just kind of trying to put a positive outlook to people and, and maybe inspire some along the way. Damn, that's a great introduction. <laughs> as, as you go through that, I'm like, oh man, I could take this 18 different ways. It's so <laughs> Let's talk about inspiration. What, what is yeah. it that is important to you to have inspiration in your profession? For me, I think it's kind of it, it's it what it's what drives success. Now, success could mean a whole lot of different things for so many different people, but it, it's if if I can if I can touch you know a lot of different lives in in, in positive ways, that that's that's really what kind of inspires me. When in my, when I see let's take coaching for example, when I go as simple as teaching a kid how to do a, a squat the correct way, and then I see him how to do a they they do a squat the correct way. You know, and even if they started at literally ground zero and it was like, oh, God, like, I can't, I can't even, it's tough to watch you do it, you know. <laughs> oh, I've been there myself, so I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but then you see him go through it and you see what happens and then, you know, the changes that they, that they have. But also a huge thing for me that that it's, it's inspirational for me right now. I have a group of students that I, I'm training that are coming from all different diversity backgrounds, walks of life, and, and I'm sure – that in the school, they probably all don't necessarily hang out with each other, sit with each other at lunch. But when they all come together in in the weight room and we're putting we're going through tough situations, you know, because I, I put them through some pretty tough situations. That's inspiring to me. And that drives me to kind of keep pushing that. You know, I've always had an idea of like to, to kind of combat like bullying a little bit would be mm-hmm. that type of together, like building versus bodybuilding for bullying yeah. or self-confidence. Exactly. That type of stuff professionally that that type of stuff drives you know inspiration for me big time yeah yeah that's interesting have you found any good tactics for inspiring your students you know a lot of times i like to i like to build upon stories of of myself or close mm-hmm. or their colleagues old teammates family members but then also you know, just different things that I that I read or, or different podcasts that I listen to. It, but I also do think that when it comes down to you know inspiration, motivation, a lot, it's got to be intrinsic at the at at the end of the day because you have to be able to inspire and motivate yourself. 
So you can listen to everything else that that and all these awesome motivational speeches, which which I do in motivational quotes, and I think I think they're fantastic, and I think they're great to share. But then at the day, end of the day, I hope that you know I always like the message to be I want it to be turned back on you. How do you take that to then drive yourself, not just listening to that quote? You know what I mean? Because I it's if if all you're doing is turning on a, a video and listening to it, great. But if you're not actually taking it and thinking about it and going through it as, well, where am I going to take this? Then is it really motivating you or is it really inspiring you? So I I hope to pass along that message to where they can be motivated. I'm not going to be with them all the time. I can't go on the playing field and play the game for them. I can give them some good things to think about. And then hopefully that message in turns help them visualize and and get on and then increase their performance. Yep. And do you think that ability to inspire yourself is something that's intrinsic to all humans? No, I think a lot of people struggle with it. And I mean, I've struggled with it. Yeah. You know, there, there's times when, I mean, heck, just the other day, I, I, I wrote out a workout that was, you know, it was a simple workout, but it's a tough workout. And, um, you know, like we just, we just got a new puppy and he was kind of running around and, he didn't, I don't think he's ever seen someone throw kettlebells around and do that type of stuff, you know? So he's getting all jacked up and kind of wild. So I stopped the workout to go outside. And then I thought to myself, oh, well, you know, that's, that's, that's enough. But then I, I, I wrote in my notes, the workout. And I said, I put failed workout. Actually, I think I put soft workout <laughs> failed, and then like underneath, like, like get better at it. And then I had, I actually ate some food and then I talked to my wife about it. And then literally probably 15 minutes later, I was like, screw this. I'm finishing that workout. So, yeah. so I've definitely, you know, you'd struggle with it because I could have definitely quit and just said, well, no, that was good enough. Those, those three yeah. sets of those exercises were good enough. But I was like, well, right. Right. no, then I motivate myself to be like, no, you know what? You wrote down five sets, get those five sets. Mm-hmm. But you know what I, I mean? Like, I, I think people I get, struggle with like the self-esteem of like, yeah. when something gets hard, it's tough to finish it. It is. Yeah. It's so tough to finish it. You know, there's that one saying where it's hard times create hard men, hard times create easy times, easy times create soft men, soft men create hard times. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But, I but, feel like I need to see that written out, but I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think it is, it is true. You have to put yourself through different, different situations challenge you and, I, and it, this does, doesn't just have to be about exercise right mm-hmm. i mean if if your goal was to write in a journal for 15 minutes every single day and then but one morning you wake up and you're just like hey, i'm a little bit tired today and you know what have you hey i forgot i was out of co- whatever it is for i was out of coffee and you didn't have your, that like disconnect of when you stop right there a lot of people think that, oh, okay well that's all right where if you would have just no, take that 15 minutes and write those yeah. couple pages, you know what I mean? And get through what you thought was tough with it. I think a lot of people would find that if they struggle intrinsically with motivation, inspiration, and self-esteem, just completing those small tasks, mm-hmm. I mean, it helps. Start small, crawl before you walk. I think smart start small it's is huge. You know, I mean, I definitely have I I struggle with that too. Sometimes I'll write a workout out and I'm like, well shit, what, maybe I shouldn't have started, started like this. Heck, our Murph challenge last, yeah. last month, you know Fucking what I mean? Fresh. Yeah. So I, I had actually never, I'd ever not, never done a full Murph until we did that uh-huh. first. You know, I, you know, we got, got through the month and it was just like, that was, that was something where it kind of pushed me forward and then to where I want to keep doing challenges. But then, you know, here we are, it's November, what, 18th or whatever it is now. And, yeah, I wanted to have a challenge for the month of November, and I've thought about this, and I'm struggling with it now. It's like, well, I need to motive, I need to be better at motivating myself now. Where I've missed 18 days now, so am I going to do a week, the last week of November challenge or something like that? Mm-hmm. I've had good workouts, don't get me wrong, but my goal was to do another challenge. So I need to mm-hmm. get back to the drawing board and totally. motivate myself and inspire myself to get that done. Totally, yeah, and that can be what's challenging i think too for a lot of people like in terms of keeping up with habits and all of that if you feel like you're taking a step back because you just did some great accomplishment and you said all right now i'm gonna take it easy for a little bit right and then you know obviously you break good habits and start bad habits etc etc but i don't think it's right to ever think about it as like a step backwards it's all just kind of this 
ebb and flow and evolution up and to the right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I think it's all just kind of a couple steps getting up towards a couple more steps getting to where you want it to be. When I, I was jogging, um, and I can't remember where I heard this. It might have been a Goggins quote. I started distance running back in the summer because I suck at distance running. And I, I hated it. And all of a sudden, I, I was sitting on the couch one day, and I said, hey, Caleb, like, let's, go, let's go for a jog. And she was like, what in the hell? You want to go for a jog? Like, I never say that. Yeah, I was really surprised when you told me you'd started running. Yeah, I was like, yeah, let's go do it. We ended up running a 5K that day. Now, yeah. it was a slow 5K, but we ran a 5K. And she's, she's ran two marathons. I can't even imagine running two marathons. But then whenever we would go running, we ran we run together a lot. And she, whenever there's a hill, she always crushes the hill. Like She turns on another notch, and she goes up that hill. And I, I started thinking to myself in, in life, find your hill. Like if totally. you find... You find your hill and get to the top of it. Because at some point in time, when you're sprinting up that hill, it's going to look like it's insurmountable. But then two seconds later, like if you look at it on a run, you're another 10 or 15 yards, 20 yards up that hill. Then it gets closer and closer and closer. Uh-huh. So find your hill is something where it's like, I, I think that that's kind of something that I've started to think about where it's like, what can I do to to get over it again? Yeah. Yeah. Find your hill. Find your hill. That's beautiful. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Goggins. Who is Goggins? So David Goggins is a guy. Um, he's an author now, motivational speaker, all this. I mean, if you look at his Instagram, it's unbelievable. But he was at, at one point in time, 300-pound guy who, if you read his book, Can't Hurt Me, it's unbelievable. He was an exterminator, like killing roaches, ate, drank a milkshake every single day, been hated his life and kind of didn't really have a purpose. He felt, well, he ended up being the only guy who's gone through air force, tactical air control training, army ranger training, and he was a Navy SEAL. So, you know, shed all this weight. And now he does ultra marathons and just all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, hell, he went and fought fires. He was an aerial firefighter, like a jumped out of planes to fight fires in like mountains and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. you know, just, and this is a guy who's, he's probably a millionaire now. I'm sure he is all the books and stuff that he sold, but he decided to go and do that, you know, and he's someone where if you're looking for motivation, I think is a great place to start. But then as we talked about earlier, okay, but then put, take that to your life. He has, he had a great quote where it was we in seal training where he, him, he would always try to get his boat crew to take the soul away from the instructors by dominating the workouts, no matter how tough they made it. Like they would sing songs together and be like, no, screw this. We're going to get through it. I'm going to take this. So I'm going to take this workout soul. You know what I mean? That's awesome. Yeah. And, and that's another thing where it's like, where I thought of like, find your hill, take this hill soul. You know, and, and and when I train, like a big thing, like for the football players that I trained this this past season, I would always say, take the soul of the team that you're gonna that that you're, that you're playing on Friday night away from them. Mm-hmm. On that night, whatever play it is, whatever assignment it is, and then in your preparation, take the soul away from the preparation of where you don't want to sit down and watch a little bit extra film. Well, trust me, I've been there. Take the soul out of that idea and get it done. What does soul mean to you? Man, that's a good, good question. I think for me, I guess at the baseline, it's really, I think it's who you are. What are your ideas? What are your values? But then it's also how do you act on those values? What is your conscious saying saying to you? You know, I think think you put up a quote the other day, Martin Luther King. Time is always right to do what is right. And I think Mark, Mark Twain has another one where it's you're, you're never wrong to do the right thing. Something, something like that. And uh, what in your conscious, like what in your soul is telling you that that's, that's the right thing to do, whether, whatever it is. I think that's a lot of it, but it's, it's spiritually on what are your beliefs on things and where's your faith? What, what do you look towards that, that type of stuff? Soul, that's a, I've never been, it's funny, I've never been asked to define that word, but that's a, that's a hard word to define. It is. What about you? What, what do you think? Oh, man. I think it's almost like a higher power, right? Like where we live, or like our higher selves in a sense. Yes. 
where like we live our day to day in our body, in our ego, in our mind, but not our soul necessarily. Unless you're in kind of one of those states where you're doing what you feel is your purpose, where you're being creative, right? Then you're connected to your soul. Right. And then that soul is more of like your essence that is eternal, is there before and after this biological life. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when you, when, when you get in touch with it, it for me, it's kind of like whether if, if you're with the right people or, or you do, you do something that's makes you feel better. It's like, you start to think about not just that, but everything else. And it, it all like everything comes together. I'm not sure. Yeah. If, you know, it, it's definitely something where it's a higher, I'm looking down at you look down at yourself from the third person view. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's kind of controlling you and your consciousness. Mm-hmm. Do you know who Ram Das is? I'll be honest. I'm not sure if I do. Yeah. So quick summary of his life. He's really one of the most fascinating guys ever, but he psychology professor at Harvard, Timothy Leary goes there in the sixties. Okay. The two of them start doing all kinds of psilocybin and LSD experiments. Yep. They get kicked out of Harvard because Richard Alpert, who becomes Ram Dass, Richard Alpert gave an undergraduate student psilocybin and they weren't supposed to. They're only supposed to give to graduate students. So and, and like at this time, kind of the 60s were kicking up and like people were saying, oh, my God, these drugs are crazy, blah, blah, blah. Right. Anyway, so they they get kicked out of Harvard. They uh, go to this like upstate mansion in New York, start doing kind of a continue their experiments, but just not any more sanctioned by like an academic institution. Things just get crazy with Timothy Leary. Ram Dass decides like, hey, I'm not actually finding the spiritual connection that I first got from these psychedelics anymore, right? Like I, there, I, I need some way to try and integrate what's actually happening. And he had been introduced to some like old ancient, or sorry, Eastern spirituality books, like, like uh, the Bhagavad Gita, the Tibetan Book yeah. of the Dead. And he's like reading these, I think these religions understood the experiences that I'm having on psychedelics and can help me, you know, interpret it better. So anyway, he decides to go to India, trains under a really like uh, enlightened guru named uh, Neem Karoli Baba, very spiritual being. And then Ram Das comes back to the United States and basically starts the entire Eastern spirituality movement in North America. So anyway, he, he, uh, the reason I bring him up is he had like a way of explaining it that really resonated with me was that within us, there's three eyes, right? That we have the eye of the body of the ego of the mind that we live in our day to day. That's, you know, worried about taxes and, you know, all the things. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have that number two eye, which is your soul, which is that higher being that is your real essence um, that, you know, exists eternally and then you have this i number three which is source creator whatever you want to whatever label you want to put on it but through that one we are all connected and that is what holds everything together wow makes sense like i i I find it hard to believe that we're not all connected in a different way than what we actually comprehend i just do i i think it's I think it's tough to when when you look at all the different languages of the world and everything and all the different ways of doing things. It's like it's it's tough for me to think that there isn't something else higher either out there. And I don't want to say controlling it, but also to give the freedom to think about it. But we all came from something. Whether it's stardust or what, we all came from something. And we're all connected in some way. I, I was listening to a podcast the other day. I think it was with Brian Green, and it, um, it was on Joe Rogan. He, he was talking about one of the theories of how, like, literally, if uh, the way that you do something in New York City and affects the particles of something in San Francisco, right? But so that then, is entanglement. Okay, so there you go. Yeah, all right, that's exactly. awesome. Yeah, that's, yeah, there you go. yeah. And Brian Green's like this incredibly brilliant guy, right? Like he's. You know, I don't know who Brian Green is. Okay, so he's he's a uh, famous he's a physicist. Okay, and, uh, like they're talking about it, and it's like, well, how do you explain that? And he he says, like, well, I don't know, I I don't know how to explain it, but it's in the math. So that's it's like interesting. 
Yeah, but it you know, so but it's in the map. But I think that's what, I love that. That's what's that's what's so crazy about everything. You you get into like spirituality and everything in the universe and all that type of stuff. There's another quote, and I, I can't remember who says it, where the universe is so crazy that the most powerful thing that's known to us, which is the human imagination, can't figure it out. Huh. Because if you think about it, the human imagination has literally figured out everything out. Everything that we have figured out is due to technical, really, if you think about it, the human mind and the human imagination. But, oh, there's yeah. still, but there's still so many different things that we can't figure out. Dude, the real world is so much crazier than any fantasy world that's ever been created. It's the, it's the, it's the craziest thing. It's crazy. It's the craziest thing, you know? So... So I, I love I love that quote and you think about it and it's like, well, yeah, holy shit. You know, there's so much stuff. And then it, but then does it come all the way down to being as simple as, OK, what we're talking about right now and me moving and sitting in this chair has some effect on it does have some effect on a particle in Africa. I, it's in the math somewhere, apparently, <laughs> you know, it's crazy, crazy. Yeah. When you think about it, space in general, looking up, this is so fun. This is why I love talking to you because we, you go, we go from literally a fitness challenge talking about a month and David Goggins to now we're sitting here talking about, <laughs> well, space and spirituality and, and, and physics and all that type of stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Which is incredible to think about. I think it's interesting that the, that the most powerful thing is really the human imagination. And what's also crazy is how far we have come from different things to where technology now is literally indistinguishable from magic. But if we've been around for so long, if you look at, if you look at the span of the first car to the Tesla now, Hmm. it really hasn't been that long since that's been there. If you want to break it down even, even further, the first, the first iPhone to what the now what the newest iPhone is. It's ridiculous. Like 14 years. Yeah. Something like that. So, so think about think about if there are other civilizations out there that we don't know about and they can visit us. If they're visiting us, then clearly they have been around for so much longer and tapped into something and technologically, spiritually, all that that we just don't have access to. I think a lot of us are trying. But I think a lot of people also refuse to believe it. Or maybe their imagination just isn't open enough. So Terrence McKenna had a theory that imagination is intrinsically part of the universe, that we are co-creators with our universe. And so what we choose to do collectively with this life will determine the outcome of the earth and the cosmos and whatever is beyond. 100%. And we don't know what's beyond. Uh, you, like, you don't know what's beyond until you actually get get there. Exactly. Until you, you actually get there. get there. If you get there. But then you also think about like, okay, but beyond could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Some people would say, well, I, I get to beyond by meditating. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. So it's super interesting. So what do you think happens after you die? Man, that's a good question. I, okay, that, so that, I'm glad you asked me that question because I was thinking about this right before we came on. You know, I go back and forth a lot. It, I'm not a religious person. I was raised Catholic. You know, you, I went through the confirmation, all that type of stuff. I've obviously been to church a lot. I'm an ordained minister, and I've had I've done weddings where I have religion in them, if, if they want it or not, but it's somewhere I'm not. And I think because for me, like the afterlife, I want to 100% believe in something, right? And I think if you do and you you want it to be, something better than I think that that can help drive you to be a better person, mm-hmm. which are different principles of, of religion and that type of stuff that I can kind of get behind, but there's certain types where it's just, it's tough. But then I also think about like, okay, why isn't reincarnation a good explanation for things? Like if you were a shit person, wouldn't it make sense that you come back as a slug or something like that? You know, you, you know what I mean? And I know that sounds silly, but, I don't think so. but there are so, but there are so many creatures and living things that have advan- advantages and disadvantages. Now that goes down to think like, okay, 
but then you can't like I don't remember anything of a past life if I've had if I've had one right so then why would it be fair to this person sitting right here or unfair to this person sitting right here based on what happened in that past life if I can't remember that but then maybe there's a maybe there's something in the afterlife of where you hit and it's like okay this is why that's what this is why this happened and so many different religions have religion to me is fascinating. So many different religions have so many different ideas of what the afterlife would be or just completely nothing. Which to me, sometimes I think about like, I could get behind just the completely nothing. Also, you get one shot at this thing. Why not try to make the most of it? And some people don't. It's tough. What do you think about it? Yeah. That's the thing with this, the latter option, right? Like if this is the only one then make the most of it to your point. But I can also get that if you have the nihilistic view that there is no higher order to anything, that humans are just this kind of random luck of evolutionary biology. And, you know, we just happen to have a consciousness as a result of random biological mutations. And we're going to blow up the world anyway, either through nuclear bombs or by destroying the climate. So what's the point? You know what I mean? Like I get, yes. I get if that is your view, like it can be very tragic, right. And, and hard to oh, yeah. be optimistic. I, the reason why I believe in something higher, whatever you want to call it, if, if it's, if it's your God, if it's your belief, like if it's whatever it is, is because of the simple fact that we're sitting down and having this conversation, meaning we're conscious enough to have this conversation and we, and observe things and everything like that. And it obviously took a long time to get here to where we can sit here and have this conversation and human beings can have this conversation, but maybe that's all part of it to where, you know, there's different things out there. How, how self-centered are, could we be to think that this is, this is the first go around as you know what I mean? For humans to think about this, if the universe has been around for what is it? 13.8 billion years crazy billion years <laughs> yeah this is the first go around so and we don't even know look maybe it's maybe it's been a long longer than that maybe we're not even the only universe so it's there's so much stuff to unpack there for me to where it's like yeah we're sitting here having this conversation because we've been given this chance and are we going to screw it up or aren't we going to or are we not going to screw it up and are there different civilizations that are looking at us thinking they're going to screw it up. Let them be. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't know. Or you know what? Yeah. Maybe we are the planet where this happened. You know, there's, there's the one quote where we're either alone in this universe or we're not both are equally terrifying. And they are both are equally terrifying. And if we're alone, I sure hope we're not. I don't think that we are. But if we are being visited, it's by something out there that's much higher than we are. Because it has to be. Even if they're visited with drones and stuff just to get here. We can't even put a human on Mars. Heck, we haven't been back to the moon since in what, a few decades? Or even longer than that, we're talking about getting someone back to the moon. So if something is visiting us, then obviously they've they got something out there that's better than we do. And how they get there? So how long have they been there? Or wherever wherever they're at. Yeah, and when you talk about them being equally terrifying, I think they're terrifying for two different reasons, right? It's if there's nothing out there and we are alone, then it it's isolating. It feels meaningless. It feels like there could be this impermanence of us as a memory versus if we're not alone. I think it's just the fear of the unknown. Like, what does that mean? Right. Right. And I, and it, it gets tough because you look at all the portrayals of if we're not alone, it's always us getting our ass kicked. For, for the most part, right? It's always, it's always something terrible happening. So why wouldn't we be scared about it? Why wouldn't you be scared of it? But then you That's think about it. Yeah. But then you, but then you think about it. It's like, okay, well, yeah. But if they are watching us, then couldn't it? Couldn't it, they could just end it probably if they wanted to really quickly. But, and you look at it, it's like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't something higher if they came across this blue planet floating around 
around this big star in this solar system? Why wouldn't they want to come observe us? Because guess what? If we're scuba diving in the ocean and you see some cave that you don't know what's down there and you go down there and there's a colony of whatever, you're going to want to observe that. So even if it's in the simplest form, you know what I mean? I mean, heck, there, there's people out there studying bacteria, right? In the simplest form of, of, of organisms and all that type of stuff. So wouldn't it make sense that that would extrapolate throughout the universe? Just by consciousness and human curiosity? Yeah. Whether it's not, it doesn't have to be human. I mean, that's what we call ourselves. But out of curiosity, heck, I'd want to. Hell yeah, dude. Sign me up. Musk. When can I yeah. get a ticket? Let's yeah. Go, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but it's so it's I think we are so primitive compared to everything else going on out, out there. And it almost logically would have to be any other civilization that could travel to get to us is clearly more technologically advanced than we are. Obviously. Or they can tap into something different that we can't tap into. Sure. And don't get me wrong. That this is what that's this is what's so crazy. I've always said this too. Like the day that human beings actually make real proven contact with extraterrestrial life, it'll be the biggest day in human history. And I'm not talking about filming or taking a picture or all that. I'm talking about legit. There it is. This being and, and us are meeting. Mm-hmm. It will be the biggest day in human history because think yeah. about all think about all the stuff that goes out the window. But then all the stuff that comes in the window with it, because it's a big switch of a whole lot of information that really we're not ready for. But I also don't think piggybacking on that, what I meant to say is how crazy I think it, that will be. But then, heck, in the mix of all this coronavirus stuff, which I don't want to talk about, <laughs> like, but the, the Pentagon put out a there was a story that the Pentagon agreed that there are UFOs out there. Right. Unidentified flying out. I think they call them unidentified aerial phenomenon UAPs now. And I don't think that all UAPs are extraterrestrial because it would also make sense that militaries around the world and governments around the world certainly have technology that is out there, but they definitely don't want to share it with the public. But I find it hard to believe that there isn't something else out there. I think the Commander Fravers thing with the Tic Tac UFO is one of the big ones. I mean, the experiences that you had of that, that video of the use with the laser pointer and that thing is clearly making different movements. That's not a shooting star. Insane. Yeah. I mean, that, that was one of the, that was one of the most compelling, like I had chills watching that video. Yeah. You know, and I love this stuff. The one other, you know, the one quote that I love is saying that there isn't, isn't aliens or extraterrestrials out in the universe is like picking up a, a spoonful of ocean water and saying that, <laughs> saying that there's no sharks because there's no sharks in my spoon. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you know, I love that. Yeah, but it's it's true. If you look at it, if you look at the Milky Way galaxy, you can't even pick out where we are if you look at a picture of it. No. It's that big. And then there's supposed to be trillions of galaxies. Yeah. So we're the only one. It's so hard to even conceptualize that vast of space but see that's the point it's it's impossible that goes back to mm-hmm. what we were talking about it's literally impossible for the most powerful thing the human amount imagination to conceptualize i don't understand physics that's one thing that i wish i would have studied a lot more or, or thought of something because i find it so interesting now but like those are the brightest minds on earth and they can't figure it out there might be some groups that have figured it out and they're doing things that they just don't think that the general population is ready for. And I think that's a possibility. I totally think that's a possibility. And I wonder, let's talk about just the scope of the military industrial complex. Okay. In the sense of certainly they have secret programs that we don't know about and they're developing technologies that we don't know about. The question I have, right, we make the comment of, you know, they haven't, they don't want us to know about what's, What's scary is, is who, who decides what is right for the American people to know and not to know? That is, the, that is scary. And what's scary is, is the fact that we actually don't know that person. You would think it'd be the president of the United States, right? But, I mean, I think history has shown in different things that, that there are groups that 
do things without the president knowing about it. And so, okay, wh- who is that person? And where where are they? And even if it was the president, right? And not to make this a political thing, people have strong opinions about like Biden and Trump. Right. Either of them, do you want them to be the ultimate decision maker of what you can know about? Um, if you look back the past five and a half years, probably not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Like that's what that's what's crazy to think about is who controls that. But then also it's like, okay, who controls like what our enemies see also to, to make it easier on our troops. If there is something out there that is flying around or some technology that can save lives, whether wherever it is, when is the point of, okay, that, that being shown or that being displayed, you go back to, I guess we got to one of those points in world war two when we dropped the atom bomb. Now it saved a lot of American lives. Obviously, it didn't save a lot of Japanese lives, but then you flip that, and then you think, okay, what if it was on the opposite spectrum, and what if they were, they were the ones that 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 discovered it? So where was that line of the group of people who decided, okay, now it is okay for everyone to know right. we have this technology? Well, and wasn't Germany developing something also pretty crazy? In like- oh, yeah. It- Obviously, the Japanese government, I'm sure, was developing something crazy, too. You know what I mean? Just like I'm sure they all they all are right now, just like we are all, you know, we are right now. hundred percent. If that's that is what's really interesting is to think about where is that line and who gets to decide that? Because do we really know? I think face value. You're probably thinking, okay, it's the commander in chief. Yeah. But it's definitely scary to think about. So then if you go back to UF or UAPs, UFOs, whatever you want to call them, what are all the there's thousands of videos out there? Which ones are the real ones? Which ones are the wrong ones? And which ones are the ones that, hey, we can actually show this or we can't show this? Because I think you're crazy to think about if there's different things out there that we haven't seen all of them. I understand the controversy of going to the moon. But I also believe that we've probably been in the moon more times than what we think we have. Because why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't there be secret missions in the moon? Hell, we may have been to Mars. I don't, I don't necessarily think I, I believe that we have. But at the end of the day, when you look at, you know, people talk about there's probably some, you know, there's like theories of military bases already on the moon. And people think you're crazy when you talk about that. Well, guess what? There are military bases even in America that you don't know about. So is it that crazy? I don't know. It's wild to think about. It is. It's super interesting. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, um, but it's also scary at the same time. Well, and what's also wild about it is you have to think that it inherently must be something big that they're keeping from people. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. If it was like, oh, these are little aliens coming by and they're saying, hey, and they, you know, I don't know. That's it. Yeah, we're good. (laughs) So it's kind of like, there's got to be something that's, that's being kept. And maybe at this point in time, we should be thankful that they are keeping it because we don't know what chaos is going to happen afterwards. I don't know, man. I've heard that excuse before. Certainly is possible. But at the same time, I I never think that like suppression of knowledge is the right path. So I agree with you 100 percent. Like I'm I'm just kind of playing devil. devil Yeah. Yeah. But and it's also something where it's like we don't know for sure what it is that they're going to share with you. You know, but let me tell you something right now. If if I became president, the first question I'm asking is, all right, where are the aliens and how long have they been here? It's something that I'd want to know. And I think it goes down to also going back to like the Hollywood portrayal of them. 
if they are so powerful, obviously they could just destroy. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's there's I'm sure there's islands where we could send in a small militia group and we would take over in literally five minutes. I mean, hell, when when America took invaded Grenada, it was it was like like that situation. Okay. Mm-hmm. So obviously a higher, like if they're visiting us, they could probably do it. Okay. So let's say that why, why aren't they? Well, there's those stories of different sightings above nuclear sites and and tampering with all that type of stuff. So then I like to think about the hopefulness of, well, maybe they're sitting back and they're thinking there is potential here, which gives me hope. And there's different intervention that they can do that intervenes without us really actually realizing they are intervening. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Because they know we're not actually ready for the true intervention of what's going to happen. Well, and they talk about that exact example with at like some nuclear site in, um, in the phenomenon and in exactly. the fifth kind. Exactly. With Stephen Greer. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Which to your point and what gets really wild is if you think about technology and artificial intelligence right and everyone's very i feel like afraid of artificial intelligence have has this idea that it's going to you know take over and we'll be the robot slaves or whatever right but i also think that's coming from a like frankly kind of like nihilistic view of the universe right if if the universe is good fundamentally then shouldn't artificial intelligence naturally become good yeah, I mean, so you would think about that if it's that, if it's that, if you always think about artificial intelligence learning different things throughout, right? So then hopefully you would think that they learned the good. But then also, it's, I think there's probably certain times where who is driving the artificial intelligence and getting them to start learning the things off mm. the bat is like, is it, I don't want them to learn the positive things. Interesting. But I guess what I'm thinking more so is if that's possible that artificial intelligence is getting is just becoming better and also you think about time and the fact that they don't necessarily go linearly in time like we do right and then maybe they have technologies that integrate with extraterrestrials right it can get pretty pretty wild to think about maybe there's like y2k right how about that maybe there actually was going to be something crazy and ai interfered from the future yeah yeah i don't know yeah, maybe, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, you could probably point to a lot of different things of stopping certain acts of, you know, violence amongst countries and all that type of stuff. If you go into, like you said, you know, the nuclear sites and all that, like it's, it's crazy to think about because how powerful those would be now. It could be literally world ending with just one. And because we are so primitive, you'd also have to think there's probably different scales of if there are different civilizations, how long it takes for certain ones to get to where we are. And to get beyond where we are. And to get beyond where we are. And a lot of that comes with just luck. Like think about all the people who are here because of certain actions or certain situations that their parents and their parents and their parents were put through to actually then end up having them. The graveyard's the richest place on the planet. If you think about it, it's the truth. But thankfully for, you know, the Teslas of the world and, you know, the Einsteins going back to the atomic bomb, what if Oppenheimer and, you know, the Manhattan project and all of those scientists that we got from Germany didn't come to America to to create it. What if they would have stayed in Germany? Well, maybe would have set us back further. So you think about different civilizations have probably gotten to where we are faster. And some others have probably taken longer to get to where we are. Hmm. Yep. And to your point about like the length of time of the universe, right? I think the earth is like 4.6 billion. So call it like a third of the universe. So naturally there's ones way older than us. Way older. Because the difference between a billion and a million is ridiculous. Yeah. Like it's, it's so much different. It's not even funny. (laughs) In trillions of universes. 
I mean, not universes, galaxies. Galaxies. Okay. Maybe universes do. Yeah, maybe. But there's also there's also the theories of parallel universes where there's an infinite numbers of yeah. Jeff and Jordan's having this conversation. Yeah, right. right. So, so wrap your head around that one. It's like that scene in the third Matrix. Or maybe it's the second one with the architect. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah, those yes. yes. Which they're making another Matrix, by the way. I saw. I can't wait. Yeah, I can't I wait. Can't either. Wait. I can't wait either. Fuck, what were we just talking about before that? Time, the universe, different theories. Yeah. The other thing that's crazy to think about is other intelligent civilizations didn't evolve from primates necessarily. So their whole just being, right, or just culture, like, I don't know, it just could be so different that that's hard to wrap your heads around too. 100%. Who's to say, and this is going to sound really crazy, but who's to say that the actual most intelligent beings aren't the ones who never came on land? Hmm. You're saying on Earth or just on Earth? Okay. Who's to, like, there's the one theory that octopi, octopuses or whatever are actually aliens because their DNA has been found on like asteroids. That's crazy. So, So think about, okay. What if there's a reason why they choose to not come on land? Yeah. Like, what if dolphins are actually the smartest damn thing on the planet and they don't see the evolutionary need to go, to be, become land creatures? Now, obviously, okay, we're way into the weeds there, and that's crazy to think about. But at some point in time, every single theory of something was thought of as, well, that's the craziest damn idea I've ever heard. Totally. And I'm sure, and a lot of those lead to different discoveries and different things of where we are today. Only the ones crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who actually do. There you go. And it gets back to that idea of us being co-creators with the universe, right? Right. That our imaginations, I mean, think about it. Like, think about the iPhone, how, and, and just that app, that company, right? How influential that is in people's lives. That was built by one man. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then now it's a bunch of different people. And a company, of course. And, and I'm not saying take anything away from everything that was oh, there. But oh, yeah, yeah. That you, yeah. Vision has to start with one person. One guy. Yeah. And so it, it, it has to start with that. And then, like, how crazy, I'm sure at some point in time, they were probably thinking like, yeah, no, we need to make this device smaller and make it be able to, where if you just look at it, it opens up and people are like, do what? Like that, you're talking about magic. You're literally talking about magic, but no, you're not. But it's in, but today's technology is indistinguishable from magic. You go, you, you take a hair dryer back a hundred uh, back a thousand years i'm sorry and you 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 could have ruled the world because you can plug it in and it blows air <laughs> you know what i mean and that gets back to you, you made a comment earlier about basically made me it sparked the idea of like not only what technologies are there available to us here on the earth that we just don't even know how to use I mean, I think there's legit. There's legitimately goes all the way down to there's things that your phone probably does that you have no idea. Hell, I just realized that I can turn my car on with an app on my phone like two months ago. Uh-huh. Okay, and, and I know that that's like a, that's like a small thing, but I'm sure that there's different like that we that we're not using that that's available probably that with regards to travel, with regards to farming, with regard there's probably different things that are available. They just need the right person to kick it in gear. And and to actually enact it, there's different people that are trying to clean up the oceans with better technology or actually, I'm sorry, but plastic is not the best technology for for grocery bags. Dude, you can use recyclable hemp for about the same price at scale. You get it down. It's all reusable, all degradable. You know, the the Ford originally used hemp in his bumpers or in his in his cars. It's ridiculous. What are we doing? What are we doing? Well, a lot of things, the way that different, you know, industries and money drives a lot of things. That's a conversation for another day. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's there's a lot of different technologies out there where it's like, why aren't we using this to do this? 
And I think plastic is a big one where it was, you know, you, you use it because it was so convenient at the, at start, at, at the beginning and everything seemed, Oh my God, this is incredible. But now look what's happening. It's just so like endemic to our culture of materialism of buy something, throw it away, just waste, waste, waste everywhere. Yes. yes. And it's sad. But I do have hope. It's hopeful that there are, there's a lot of good and there's a lot of people that want to use the right technology to get things out there and change it. And then it comes back to a full circle again. Maybe there's also a lot of hopeful things to be thinking about of what your faith is in a higher power. And that can be anything that you actually, whether you look to it in a book or you look to it in, in meditation or you look to it in conversations like these and kind of opening your mind to listen and find what it is, but whatever drives it, I do have hope that the good out there is going to be something that kind of turns things around a little bit, because I'm sure that this isn't the, there's a doom and gloom amongst a lot of people in the world right now, I think, but this isn't the only time that that's happened. It's probably, and it's probably not going to be the last time. So I, I think that there's a lot of hopeful things. It goes back to, oh, okay, hard times create hard men. Hard men create easy times. Easy times create soft men. Soft men create hard times. Mm-hmm. And we're probably on a little bit of a scale on that timeline. <laughs> where maybe, you know, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of a hard time for a lot of people. So talking a lot about hope. You have a really great perspective as an athletic director in the next generation. So I'm curious, what makes you hopeful about them? Hopeful. I mean, a lot of them, I think the intelligence, the eagerness to learn, the curiosity. Right now, the availability of information and places to learn and different ways to learn is better than it ever has been. And I think the curiosity that you see of people who and the, you know, the young kids and the young athletes that are finding those ways to do it. I think a lot of times there's, you know, there's different things that come with that, that it bites them in too. But I think you can be hopeful that at the end of the day, they are seeing that there are better ways of using what we have available to us than what's been done in the past. And there's kind of a wave of a new generation of seeing these, of using the information out there. I think there's going to be a lot of changes you're going to see when it comes to education, colleges, universities in the future. And I think for the good of different ways of learning and teaching, different hands-on stuff that thankfully, because of technology that we have now, we have a good idea to be hopeful or a good reason to be hopeful for. But I would say curiosity is a big one for me of why why I'm hopeful is the younger generation's curiosity in improving things. That's awesome. Do you think they feel empowered that they have the ability to change things? I think some of them do. I think some of them need to be pushed a little bit to realize that they do, that they have the ability to change things. You hope that now, especially, you know, there's a lot of different ways for them to get involved. There's more programs than ever. There's more diversity than ever, too. It might not feel like it in times, but just by human evolution, there's more diversity than there ever has. Mm. There ever has been. And you hope that you continue to build on that and learn from each other and keep an open mind. Stay curious. You hope that they stay curious. And thankfully now, curiosity is at such a high level because of all the access of everything that we have. You can pull up a YouTube video now and fix your car with something that's wrong with yeah. it. You know what I mean? <laughs> something like that. And we're, we we started to have that in our generation, but the generation before us certainly didn't have that. So th- there's just some of them feel empowered that they have the ability to change the wor- world. I think some for better or for worse, to be honest. But for the most part, they've, a lot of them, the really curious ones and the ones that are eager to learn and change things for the better feel empowered for the right reasons. And it almost gets back to that discussion from earlier about some people can find uh, persistence within them and inspiration within them. It's almost like they're these inherent human characteristics. It's all about just, can you connect with it and find it within yourself? 
Yeah. And I think going back to that, there's more ways to go out there and try to help yourself find it within yourself. That's such an important the concept intellectually doesn't matter at all. If you don't have some path to get there. Right. But if you can go out and find the information and find the people that have been able to do that versus where you might not have had the, the avenues to access it a long time ago, yeah. but this generation is starting to, I think it opens up that pathways, th- those pathways to be intrinsically motivated and find ways to get, get there on your own with the guidance of others. And that openness of information is so important. And I think to your point from earlier about people being all doom and gloom these days, and they say, oh, social media, it's, you know, these kids are blah, 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 whatever. But they also have in their hand access to every book that's ever been written in the history of the known universe, right? They have a computer in their hand. The, they the, can the, listen to the, the smartest people in the world today on a podcast, talk about an hour about whatever the hell they think is interesting. <laughs> exactly. It's crazy. And you hope that they do. And that's why yeah, that's why right. I, I am hopeful about it. And I, I think that there's a lot of good that information that's out there. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, obviously there's there's wrong information too, but sure. you, you get down to the really curious ones that are curious for the right ways. We'll mm-hmm. look at both. We'll look at and dig into the both sides of different or the five sides of every single argument and create the correct path. How did you create your correct path? I don't know if I have yet. I think I'm still trying to. And I think a lot of things have helped. Families helped for me getting back home um, when I lived in Wisconsin, getting back and marrying the right person has really helped me on a path of being healthier, a path of better connection with loved ones and, and family and friends you, you know what I mean? Like my close friends, I, I think all helped me, uh, helped me on the path. I don't know if actually getting to the end of the path is the actual goal, but it's continuing on the right one. Are you actually going to get to the end of it? I don't know. But if you keep on the right, down the right one, I think that's what you want to do. But I think that there's a lot of different things that lead lead you astray from there and bring you back. You know, for me, going back to where we started, you know, we talked a lot about like at the beginning fitness and stuff like that. But for, but for me, that has always been something of where my passion and my path lie and the people in my world that I've started to you know surround myself with and have always helped me on that. That's what's helped me see that vision of now you're probably going towards doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And you just hope that you keep doing that. But I don't know if I've actually grabbed it yet. Our culture sets this expectation that it is a destination or it's a thing or it's a once you achieve this milestone, then you're great. And I think to your point, it's maybe we never like maybe it's just an ongoing journey. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay because if you. As you get older, if you're stagnant, you die. Maybe not physically, but spiritually, mentally, you can. And then eventually, physically, you do. So if you stop moving, movement is key and movement moving in the right direction. I think that if you're going to keep doing, keep, keep going and trying to find the right path, which you might not get to see until you're much older. That's the key to it, of key to success. I was just pulling up this Brene Brown quote. Unused creativity is not benign. It metastasizes. It turns into grief, rage, judgment, sorrow, shame. It's perfect. That's perfect. There's a really, really good message there. And that's why, like when I said earlier, the graveyard is the richest place in the world. Yeah, but man, that that, that quote is good. That quote is good. It's tough. It's scary. It's natural to be afraid of, you know, the unknown to go out and create and to do something different. And, you know, we live in a culture of social media trolls where the first thing you try and do, they just want to tear you down. It's terrifying. But if you can finally get to not caring what what other people think and taking those leaps, man, do you reach a level of freedom? And I'm not saying I'm there by any means yet, 
but there's different steps and different ways that I've tried to get there. And you do reach a level of freedom that you didn't have. I mean, when you went and started with John, uh, the jungle podcast, that was yeah. so awesome. You guys, yeah. so I appreciate it. And we talk about, we've, we've talked about, you know, going, getting more episodes back up and trying and trying to restart and stuff. And yeah, I I'd be listening immediately. No, I appreciate it. I hope that we do, you know, and that's why, like I said, I, I hope that we do this again at some point, just having conversations like this, open up that curiosity and keep driving down that path, but also keep makes you keep getting that path longer. And I think you need to keep, keep getting that path and making that path longer. Keep building your hill, find your hill and keep building it. Keep building your hill, man. Jeff, this is awesome. This was awesome, man. This was really awesome. I hope that we can do it again. Absolutely, man. I had so much fun. We got to do this again soon. Absolutely, man. All right, man. Take it easy. See you. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. I wanted to dive further into this idea of artificial intelligence and the idea that intelligence itself could inherently be love. Now, it makes sense that we'd fear the development of AI today as huge sums of money go into weapons development and defense spending. This naturally makes us concerned that AI will be developed for predominantly destructive purposes. However, I'm optimistic that the current global paradigm of quote-unquote defense spending is a blip in the history of humanity's evolution. That we're currently developing 21st century technology with brains and cultures dominated by our monkey brains. But that this is changing rapidly and the collective consciousness of homo sapiens as a species will soon catch up to our current level of technological development. The idea of intelligence being the path to freedom is not new. The Gnostic Christians were an early sect of Christianity that emphasized personal spiritual knowledge, or gnosis, above the orthodox teachings, traditions, and authority of traditional religious institutions. Gnosticism flourished in the 1st and 2nd centuries AD until orthodox Christian sects, including the Roman Catholic Church, began to violently suppress Gnostic ideas as heresy. Now, I know that any discussion of the Catholic Church inherently carries a lot of charge with it, and like anything important, has a lot of nuance. Catholicism as a spiritual practice has done incredible good for people all across the world, including Jeff and his family and my mom and her family. However, we also need to conduct an honest review of the actions of the church over the past two millennia and how those actions have impacted the current worldview of organized religion and spirituality. One protistic Gnostic idea that I wanted to highlight is their interpretation of the story of the Garden of Eden. The traditional interpretation states that God, or Yahweh, placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, instructing the couple to not eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge. A serpent deceived Eve into eating an apple. She convinced Adam to take a bite as well. God was angry for the couple for disobeying him, and so they were banished. However, according to the Gnostics, the Garden of Eden actually represents the pre-existent spirit of God before time and space, which is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Yahweh in this story is not the creator of the universe, but rather an imposter who made the physical world, who is jealous and vengeful. The serpent, in fact, represents the divinity of man, and in encouraging Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge, he is encouraging humanity to reconnect with the divine spark within us. The reason I bring up the Gnostic view of the tree of knowledge is to contemplate this idea. What if the true nature of knowledge is inherently love? What if knowledge is divinity? What if knowledge is freedom? The Nag Hammadi texts of the Gnostics were discovered in 1945, bringing a resurgence of Gnosticism to the modern world. This happened one year before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls near Israel's West Bank, and two years before whatever the fuck happened at Roswell happened. These all occurred shortly after the end of World War II and the detonation of the first three atomic bombs in Los Alamos, Hiroshima, and Nagasaki. And maybe the timing of these events is purely coincidental, or maybe they're a sign from some form of higher intelligence that it is time we re-examine our priorities as a species and get off this bullet train towards geopolitical conflict and climate disaster. <laughs>